Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 359 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 23rd, 2015. Got a good show for you this week. A lot of NFL Combine talk. Some of the USC players that are participating in the NFL Combine. We want to talk about that. A little spring football preview. Lots to get to. And if you have any questions for us, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com or call us at 206 888 6755, leave a voicemail there, or you go to our website, parastylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, you can leave a voicemail for us right there. Dan Weber's coming up a little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk to him, and of course right now, Coach Harvey Hyde is back from a brief hiatus. Coach, welcome to the show, how are you doing? I am doing fine, and uh, I want to say hello to everyone, and say I'm sorry I missed last week. But I had something I had to be at almost the entire entire week. And, uh, Ryan, I want to thank you and the staff that, that you have for filling in for me. But I'm back, and I've got my ankles taped, and I'm ready to go. Nice. And we're, we'll talk about where you were coaching a little bit here. And I want to just thank our sponsor before that, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. The Lakers got a big win over the Celtics. Recently, you want to talk about baseball, pitchers and catchers reporting. So we're going to have some baseball stuff coming up soon. Crazy, lots of sports stuff going on. You can go to sctickets.com and, and they can help you out. And uh, Coach, so you know where you were as far as uh, you know last week, um, there was memorial service, you know, funeral for Jerry Tarkanian, who, who you know from your days at UNLV and probably before. But I'll, I'll let you kind of explain the story. But Chris in San Jose... Uh, wanted you, you can talk about kind of what happened last week, but he also wanted you to say, uh, can, could you tell your favorite funniest story or experience you ever had, uh, with Jerry Tarkanian? Thanks. Uh, thanks for the great work that you do, Chris in San Jose. Well, Chris, thank you very much for asking that question. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian and I were very good friends. In fact, his brother's my best friend. Um, I've known Jerry Tarkanian, uh, for 60 years. That's hard to wow. believe, but. But my mom and dad had a little pop and mom grocery store, uh, and they lived right across the street from the store in Pasadena. So we sort of grew up together. I mean, he was older than we were, but his brother's a year younger than me, and he sort of fathered us and told us uh, what we could do and what we couldn't do. And uh, we followed him through his career as a player, and he went to Pasadena City College and then Fresno State, and we followed him when he coached his first job at San Joaquin Memorial in Fresno, and then Antelope Valley, then Redlands High, Riverside City College, Pasadena City College, Long Beach State, UNLV, the San Antonio Spurs, and back to Fresno State. <clears throat> Excuse me. So during that period of time, we followed him, and during that period of time, I got into coaching, too. And I was uh, coaching at Pasadena City College, and uh, the job opened there, and I went to the athletic director, and I went to the president, and I, say, I said, I think we can get Jerry Tarkanian to come to Pasadena City College. Now, he had just just won three straight state championships at Riverside City College, and he was 197-6 and six wow. at Riverside City College. <laughs> That's wow. crazy. Crazy. Those are crazy numbers, so... We did, and he came to Pasadena City College because the president made him a dean. Didn't have to teach, made him dean of student activities. So he was in charge of all the student body and up there, and the players hung out up there, and it was great. And uh, I was coaching football, and he was coaching basketball. So it was great. And now during this period of time, I went off to the University of Hawaii, and after a couple of years, uh, uh, he went to Long Beach State, so we kept following each other. I came back to Pasadena City College as the head football coach. He was at Long Beach State, so we always went down there. And then he went to UNLV. So went to, he went to UNLV and oh, started that run that he had there that everybody knows about. And the football job opened up there in November of, the, November of uh, 1981. 
1991, or whatever it was. I don't remember. And uh, I applied for it. And the athletic director uh, got me in the finals, liked me because we had won so many games at Pasadena City College. He thought we needed some immediate players there. And uh, he went to Jerry Tarkini, and he wasn't going to hire a football coach unless Jerry approved it. And Jerry says, of course, I've worked with uh, Harvey Hyde before, and I think he'd do a great job here. So I was the first junior college coach ever to get a Division One college football coaching job. That never been ha- never happened before. Really? I, I had no idea, no. Coach. That's really interesting. Yeah, never happened before. So I went up there, and we continued our relationship there. I mean, we either talked to each other every day before lunch, went to lunch or dinner, and we worked together, and he helped me develop a football program at UNLV because – of the success worldwide of his basketball team, and everybody knew about UNLV, and it certainly helped me get through and get some great players there. Uh, so, you know, we've been we've been friends forever. Uh, I followed him. Uh, I followed him through his final years. Uh, uh, I saw him about a month before. Uh, I was on the Hall of Fame committee at Pasadena City College, and I I got him in there. Not got him in there. He deserved to be in there, just that somehow he hadn't been put in there, okay? And I made sure of that uh, because he's listed as in the top 75. His flag with his picture on it blows on campus at Pasadena City College as one of the top alumnus in the history of the school. And then, of course, uh, this past week in Vegas, what can I tell you? Uh, Monday I was at the funeral uh, for family in the family and close friends. Wednesday, I went to the tribute at the UNLV basketball game. The game started at 8. The game was done at 10.30. They dimmed the lights and turned the lights off in the Strip, in the Capitol, everything else. uh, Unbelievable, very emotional. Uh, Thursday night, I was in Long Beach at Long Beach State where Jerry had played. Do you realize Tarkini, Jerry Tarkini, never lost a home basketball game at Long Beach State. Never. Never lost a home basketball game. Didn't know that either. Wow. And, well, never. So uh, there, uh, uh, we they had a tribute there, and the Tarkanian family was there. Uh, this Sunday, they are going to have a tribute for him in the Thomason Mac, which he built, 18,500 seats. I've been there before when there's been 19,000-plus, when Navy came in with David Robinson and Shaquille came in there from LSU, and what great games. And by the way, the Rebels beat both of them. I mean, it, it, it is, it, he was a guy that could motivate players. He was a guy that took players, as everyone knows, that maybe other people didn't want. He gave them a second chance, sometimes a third chance. And he won at places where he wasn't supposed to win at. Uh, UNLV was just a small school in the desert until Jerry Tarkanian went there. And now everyone knows of UNLV, uh, the rich tradition of its basketball program. So uh, it, it's been tough on me and tough on a lot of people, but he is an icon in Las Vegas. They've only turned the lights off on this strip nine times during the history of the strip. Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, he's in that class of what the state of Nevada and Las Vegas thinks of Jerry Tarkanian. And uh, he got in the Hall of Fame uh, uh, two years ago, or last year. He was back in Springfield for that. It was tremendous. Uh, He deserved it. He got into that. And uh, just a, 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 what do you want to call it, a blue-collar coach's the blue-collar people loved him. And probably some of the greatest stories I can tell you, I can tell you stories all the time, was we traveled all over together. When I went back to the NBA draft with him. I remember getting out of the car. We had a limo. We got out of the car back there in front of Madison Square Garden. The door opened. People were lined up to get into the draft. It was the year of Larry Johnson, Anderson Hunt, Greg Anthony, and all those players and all of a sudden, the crowd saw Tarkanian. And they started chanting, Tark, Tark, Tark. And it got louder and louder and louder. 
So Fawn and I said, Tark, you got to go over and shake a few hands. And that's one thing he would do. He never passed by anybody. If they wanted to take a picture or give an autograph, so he went over and shook everybody's hands and went in. I remember going on a – I used to do the game of the week, and he always used to want to go with me to, to Penn State or to Notre Dame. Uh, I used to be the color, color analyst on the national broadcast. and He would go with me to Penn State, and Joe Paterno would hear he was there, and, and he'd say, I want to meet with him. Have Tark come to the Nittany Lion Inn uh, uh, Friday night before the game. I want to – talk to him. So we'd go down there and all Joe Paterno wanted to do is talk about football and Jerry Tarkanian and how he's fought the NCAA and what's it like. He's, he's never met him personally and say what a great basketball fan he was. And we go to Notre Dame and uh, the Florida State uh, Notre Dame game that year and Lou Holtz heard Jerry Tarkanian was there so he got the word out he wanted to meet Jerry Tarkanian so we went over to his office sit down and all Lou Holtz wanted to do is talk with Jerry Tarkanian about his ventures and who he was and what his thoughts were and all that. I can go on and on. That that trip, I too, I remember on that trip, Rudy, that movie was just getting released and uh, the producers and everybody were there and they invited us to dinner. And then after dinner, we went to Rudy's house and Rudy showed us all of the chairs that Newt Rockney had in his office and all of that and course we became good friends with Rudy. Rudy lives in Las Vegas now and you know he's a, a circuit speaker, really great speaker, a motivational speaker on how when you get your chance don't blow it. And I uh, just it just I could go on and on and on about Jerry Tarkinian. I I know he was asked a question once Tark, when you get to heaven, what are you gonna do when the NCAA is there? <laughs> And he said to the guy that asked him this question, I don't have to worry about they won't be there. (laughs) (laughs) And I can go on and on and on. I don't want to take the whole segment like this, but, you know, I've done a whole hour of radio talking about stories like this and uh, many shows this last week, as you know. I can tell you story after story after story. When you saw Larry Johnson at the funeral, you saw all his players at the funeral, everybody, the who's who of the state of Nevada and so on with there. Billy Tubbs was there. Ben Howland was there. Uh, Roland Todd was there. Uh, let's see, what other basketball coaches were there? Uh, Jerry Prim was there. I mean, I mean, it just, it was just something, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful experience, sad experience. Then also Danny Tarkinian, as everyone knows, who ran for senator, senator gave a speech that knocked it out of the park. I mean, it was sad. It was funny. It was everything. Even the bishop, who was uh, doing the memorial service in the church, started laughing. And uh, it was just a real experience. So I didn't mean to ramble on, but you don't read these things in the newspaper. But he was a people's a player's coach. I mean... Uh, uh, he loved people. Uh, he knew what he was doing, and he did it his way. And uh, that song, you know, Do It Your Way by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, uh, that exactly fits Jerry Tarkanian. Well, Coach, I appreciate that, and thanks, Chris, for the uh, question. I think there's, you know, there's ties with, obviously, Southern California and Jerry Tarkanian and USC and the NCAA, so I think there's some definitely some cross-interest you know, interest there. So I know that's where you were last week. I appreciate you uh Share the really unique insights uh, with your you know, interactions with his life. I didn't realize you guys known each other for 60 years. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> You're only, I thought you were like uh, 48 years old or something, Coach. I didn't think you could know someone that long. Well, you know, I, you can, I lie as long as you want to <laughs> lie until you can't lie anymore, okay? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks, Coach, for that. And, uh, by the way, if you want to follow Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow uh, all of his tweets about USC football and, and other topics uh, there. And, uh, Coach, before we get into the other questions, I wanted to talk about the NFL Combine a little bit. Seven Trojans uh, over there. I'm not sure if you got to see much of it, but I think overall it looks like uh, USC players are, are doing pretty well. And, and, you know, overall I think have helped themselves, made themselves a little bit of money during this uh, week of the Combine. Well, you know uh... – yeah, you only can uh, 
you, you can help yourself, but you can also hurt yourself. And you know, uh, I you know I think the combine is just nothing but a marketing thing for the NFL. Just like all of the talk about all these teams coming to LA, they're testing the market. LA, uh, the NFL is great at marketing. It's just so marketing. They're getting the word out. Everybody talking about NFL football in LA. Hell, we're going to have four stadiums in L.A. I don't know, eight teams. <laughs> so, you know, if you if you listen to all that stuff that's going on, it's just getting the word back in here. They haven't had NFL football in L.A. for so long that they've got to get the media writing about it. So why not do some of these things? Talk about the Raiders coming back to L.A. Oh, my God, the Raiders in L.A. So all of these different things that people talk about. But that's what you call marketing. And they're geniuses that do that in the NFL. Well, they're geniuses when they do the combine. They want people to sign up for their NFL network, so they have a combine where you have to do, uh, sign up for the services if you don't have it, so you can watch all these players work out. I mean, if I have to watch the combine or go to the combine to ask guys questions and see how big their muscles are and all of this and that and test them to see if they're a football player, man, I ought to resign. Because I want to know what type of football player they are in a uniform. I've been watching these guys play for for several years, and not only in college, but I got high school films on them, and I've gone back and talked to their high school coaches. Hey, I got a a diary on them. I mean, I got a Bible on each one of these players. I've got them all cut up on film. I know exactly what I know, and to have to go back there and sit in the stands a hundred yards away and get a 40-yard time or see how high they jump or this and that. Hey, hey! when you put a uniform on, you do everything at a different speed and a different height. Some people carry a uniform well. Like some people, if you're smaller, can when you put a uniform on, on that weight slows them down. Some people, it doesn't slow them down at all. Uh, they jump just as high with a uniform on. So, uh, you know, I can, I can – I don't have to – go to a combine and see if a guy can play. I used to evaluate players, and during the first reel, I'd say, turn it off, give me his phone number. I mean, uh, I think it's part of marketing. I think it's part of now when baseball is starting and the NBA basketball is coming down to the final part of the year. Uh, the NFL is having events to, uh, to be there all the time. Uh, with the other sports, look, they moved the draft back now, so they get the start of baseball. People will be watching the NFL draft. It's all part of geniuses figuring out how they can keep uh, right on the, the front pages of, of all of the newspapers. So, you know, uh, I mean, the combine's fine. Everybody gets back there. It's a coaches' convention and an administration uh, convention. They all sit in bars and sit in restaurants and talk about how great they are and, and lie to each other about players, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, do you like this guy? I don't like him at all when they love him, okay? So uh, it, that's what it is. It's a social event, I think. Uh, and if you have to go there to decide if you're going to draft someone, uh, you shouldn't be in the game because you're going to – before you draft a first-round player, you're going to work him out yourself. You're going to interview him yourself. You're going to do a lot of other things yourself. Just like when they drafted Randall Cunningham and they called me in my office and it was uh, Len Stiles with the Eagles. And he says, Coach, uh, we're going to start the second round now. What do you think of Randall Cunningham? I said, if you, don't, if you don't draft him, you're going to get fired for passing him by and he's going to beat you. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, every game he's been in, he made me a pretty good coach. Every game he's been in almost that he played is the most valuable player in the East-West Shrine game, everything else. He's got to be pretty good, don't you think? Oh, he's got a slow release. No kidding, he's 6'5", but he runs 4'4", four, 4'5", four, four, too. Take all of that into consideration. I said, Len, if you take him, you're going to get a pay raise, and everybody's going to know your, your uh, name. Plus, he's a great punter, and, you know, I think he has – Right now, I think I've mentioned this before, the third longest punt ever in NFL football history, and he only punted about ten times. <laughs> so, you know, he's just a great player. They took him, and, you know, history has proved it right, you know. So, you know, you you got to have a feeling of what you want 
Will he fit into your system, or are you a good enough coach to say this is a great player or a great quarterback? We're going to change what we do because this guy does what he does so well. And that's where a lot of coaches are stupid because they try to take someone that doesn't fit the puzzle and make him fit the puzzle, and it doesn't work. just doesn't work. So, uh, you know, the Combine's great. It's great marketing. Everybody's watching it, talking about it. I mean, I thought it was sort of boring to watch. I didn't watch it all. I don't know if you did, right? I don't need to watch it all. I know who can play, who can't play, and that's what's important to me. Yeah, no, I mean, just specifically with USC guys, I was kind of just watching. I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I watched guys come through, and you see a guy like a Josh Shaw run a four four four. So he, I think, he helped himself, or you know, Nelson Aguilar and, and Leonard Williams just doing kind of crazy things. You know, he's going to be a top three pick or whatever still, but I. I think, in general, the USC players help themselves. Overall, for the combine, you know, I agree. That it's like the underwear Olympics. And, uh, um, you know, I, I like some of the analysts that are on there, like uh, Mike Mayock I like a lot, and uh, Daniel Jeremiah we've had on the podcast. We've had both those guys on the podcast, actually. And uh, it's interesting to kind of hear their take. But, um, yeah, in general, it's not the most exciting uh, television, <laughs> I guess you could say. But, you know, for USC specifically, I think those guys use the, the platform pretty well to help themselves. I agree with you. I agree 100%. Uh, I think Buck Allen could have run a faster 40 uh, for himself. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they did. I think Josh Shaw's time surprised a lot of people. In fact, I didn't think he could run that fast. And at one time, I was told Buck Allen was one of the fastest guys on the USC team. But yet he didn't run that time at the Combine. Does Nelson Aguilar have to prove himself as far as he's a great football player? I don't think so. So, uh you know, but, but like I said, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, don't know the SC players as we do. But uh, they should. That's their job. So, uh, yep, well, they got through that. And we'll get to uh, whatever the next thing is as far as they all work them out. And then they have a secret meeting, you know, in a bunker somewhere. <laughs> and, and they decide who they're going to draft. That's definitely what they do. So it'll be interesting to see, Coach. Um, let's go to spring football. Tarek. So it's spring football starts uh, March 3rd. So really 10 days or something. I mean, it's not that, not even that. Uh, pretty crazy how quickly it's coming up, eight days. Um, so it'll be next Tuesday. So next Monday we can do more of a kind of spring preview. But Tarek had a question. What is your number one thing the Trojans need to accomplish uh, for this spring football period? The number one thing they need to accomplish. Wow. That's that's a tough uh, question. Uh, uh, I, I would I would think uh, consistency. I would think uh, uh, establishing uh, your philosophy and, and the belief with your players. Uh, establishing your new offensive line coach with his players. Uh, getting your new freshman and JC transfer involved in your offense immediately. Uh, uh, I know number one thing I didn't do is I didn't want to get anybody hurt, but uh, uh, worry about injuries. Uh, make sure that when you go live, that everyone goes live, that nobody is letting up because it's very important. That I've always found that when you go full speed and everyone goes full speed, no one gets hurt. It's when you try to go three-quarter speed. Okay, this is a half-speed drill. That's where everybody gets hurt. I do think you have to hit in the spring. I really think you only get better by playing against great players. I like individual drills, uh, one-on-one where you teach. I like inside drill, outside drill. I like to uh, go live in a lot of situations. I like to work on goal line situations, too, where you and short yardage where it's, where it's really important. You get that yard or two yards, and you get in your mind and believe that you can get that one yard and teach your team that we cannot be stopped from the one-yard line. We cannot be stopped on fourth and six inches. We cannot be stopped. And on the defensive side of the football, you never give up, and you make plays, and you get your play guys, uh, playmakers in the game. And I think another thing, too, is distributing your players, finding out who can play. Make sure they're on the field. Don't have backups who could be a backup on offense that could start on defense. 
make sure your players are on the field and you get ready. And again, don't look at your opening game of the year and your second game of the year and think that's, oh, those are pushes. Work out as if you're going to open up against Ohio State so that you're ready to play against a team like that and you don't find yourself behind schedule because you're looking at what your first two games are. Now, uh, hitting me with that question, you know, like that, when I didn't have a chance to think about it really, there are areas in your game that you need to improve on. Uh, You know, you've got a lot of new linebackers coming in, so you want to give the linebackers uh, who are there a real look to see just uh, how Lamar Dawson is, is ready to play. Is he ready to play, or is he going to have a year like last year? No play. So you've got to find out and evaluate your returning players so that you have a a mindset that we can win the Pac-12 with these players. And if you can't, then you've got to do something different so that you can win the Pac-12. But you start out, everybody in the Pac-12 starts out with thinking, what do we have to do to win the Pac-12? You know, they're doing that across town, and they've got to work on their quarterback at UCLA. They've got a lot of players back, 18 starters. Well, so does SC, and I think they've got a great uh, uh, leap on the offensive side of the ball by having Cody Kessler back. I just like Cody. I think he's going to uh, be a great one, and uh, I think that uh, SC should have a great season, but I wouldn't be talking about how good you're going to be. That's a, that's it. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sitting. I haven't evaluated it at this at this point. Right. Yeah. No. I think it makes sense. The, the the Bob Connolly thing is interesting. You know, that's the only offense. That's the only coach that's different. So you have a young offensive line coming back. How does what kind of impact can he have in the spring um, with these guys? I don't think he's been around long enough to make a whole bunch of significant changes. But that'll be kind of interesting to see and. Um, you know, to me, Coach, I think at the receiver position with Aguilar and, and George Farmer gone, Juju Smith looks like the, the, the main guy, but who's going to step up and be the number two? You, know, you mentioned the JC guys. Isaac Whitney will be there. I don't think as far as incoming freshmen, there's five early enrollees, one of them being Isaac Whitney, the JC transfer. But I don't think there's you need really an impact from anybody. I think you know Whitney would be the one guy that you could use it if he could step up and try to be the number two wide receiver. But – you know, Ricky Town, he'll he'll end up redshirting as a quarterback. It's it's good for him to get experience now in spring football. Uh, but you know, some of the other guys, I mean, a couple offensive linemen, Chuba Doga, maybe he can get in the mix. But you got so many young guys starting. I don't think he's probably more of a tube deep guy than a than a starter. And you know, maybe you know uh, Cameron Smith, uh, you know, the big middle linebacker. Since you're you're, you're losing Hayes Pollard, uh, if Lamar Dawson can't go, you know, could he come in as a true freshman and and make some contributions. But I, I think there's some interesting storylines, but like you said, it's more of you got like an established offense kind of coming back and, and that's important. You know, we'll, we'll see how they, they do on defense replacing some key guys. But I think for the most part, it's different than last year in spring football where you kind of were just feeling out everything. Now I think it's more kind of fine tuning. If you're going to have some philosophy changes, like you mentioned, probably do that and, and, and kind of install that in there more of an attacking style, more of more of an aggressive overall team, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. I agree with you, and I think that you have to be more aggressive on defense. Uh, you've got to mix it up a little bit more. You got to you know uh, can't let a team prepare for you so easily, right? And I mean, uh, what I mean, yeah, they got great players, but you got to give them different looks, different things, so that it takes some time to prepare for you. When you have great players and and you put put your great players in a position that teams that don't have great players and they just make bigger plays then. Just because they're great players, you don't want to limit them. You want to give them assistance by saying, okay, you're a great player, but let's uh, give them this, a little bit of this stuff too. Let's, let's make our defense even a little bit better. I think the defensive line, obviously, is something that's a question mark. You want to see some players come through that you've been waiting for them to play up to, the, to their potential. So I think the front seven is very important as far as what happens in the spring ball. All right, uh, let's see. We got one more from, let's see. I don't think I wrote down who. Oh, this is from Art. Okay, Art wrote in. He said, I've heard you guys say that USC doesn't have the, the size at the linebacker position. However, I remember a player USC had that was smaller. Uh, I believe his name was, he said Gutenberg, you know, but he's actually talking about Matt Grudegood uh, from Modern Day High School. Uh, 
he was not on the team with the wild but oh he was on the team with the wild bunch too uh maybe it's not the size but the ability of the players thanks art yeah i'll tell you what he was a playmaker he had a great football sense he flew around the field they played him at different type of positions off the line of scrimmage he could blitz he he covered he, he ran well he really ran well he was in all the plays and uh he made some big plays to, to win football games. You know, you come around and you get players like hey, Troy Palomala. He's the same type of player. Uh, you know, you you get guys that don't have to be real big, but just are ball hawks on the defensive side of the football and make great plays. He was one of those people. And, you know, when you have big players that can make great plays, it just makes sense that uh, they're better than the smaller players that make great plays. And, I think the talented players that have come in uh, just increases your chances of being a better football team. Not not saying that smaller people can't play. Smaller people can really play. Uh, so, but the chances on as far as being physical, it's important to be physical on the defensive side of the football. Yet you have to be quick. You have to be a playmaker, and you got to be able to run. The key to playing defense now is quickness and your running ability. The offensive side of the football has got great skilled players, and they're doing all these spreads and everything else. It's not as much power as what it used to be. So you've got to be able to have skilled players that can run, and the bigger that skilled player is and the more athletic he is, the better chance you have of matching up and beating people. My big X will beat your small O if they're equal. And uh, and I think that's the philosophy and what USC is looking at as far as the type of players they brought in to be a little bit more physical than what they did before in the in the secondary and also at the linebacker position. So uh, these are things you try to do to improve your program. And when you do that, I like you you know you you just try to get better in every every day and every way you try to get better and better. That's what I used to tell my team and my coaching staff. What have we done today to get better? What have you done today to get better? What have I done to help our team get better? Those are the questions you ask yourself. Makes sense, Coach. And, yeah, I mean, I, Matt Gruger was an amazing player there. I think when you talk about the size and USC trying to get back to – I asked Steve Sarkeesian about this after the after sign day in the press conference. He said, yeah, I mean, they wanted to get longer, uh, taller at the linebacker spot. And, you know, Hayes Pilarza, I think, can go on and have a, a good NFL career, great heart. But, you know, he's six feet tall, and now you're bringing a bunch of guys that are 6'4". So if you can get these rangy linebackers, I think it helps, especially in this 3-4 scheme as opposed to the 4-3 the front that they were playing before. Um, so I, it's not that you don't like smaller players, but I think in this defensive system, it usually works out better if you have playmakers. you got like an Osa Messina who's 6'4 or whatever and, and, and can run and is all over the place. I, I'd love to have a player like that. You know, you want him to have the kind of motor that a Matt Grudergood had too, or a Hayes Pollard or someone like that. And I think Osa Messina does. So yeah, if you if you get that same kind of like, you know, tough, gutty, uh, you know, hard nosed player that's also happens to be big, that's probably not a bad thing. And I agree. And uh let's keep these guys on one side of the ball. Uh, I'm not digging the, <laughs> you know, guys going both ways, okay? Uh, build the pride in the side of the defense you have. You have enough great players to build that pride and let Osa, Messina, and these guys know where they're going to be at the beginning and just keep them there. Sounds good, Coach. All right. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing the thoughts about Jerry Tarkanian and all the, the spring football stuff, the NFL draft. Uh, we, we really appreciate that, Coach. It's great talking to you, and uh, glad you're back. And we will talk to you again next week for a little spring football preview. Thanks a lot, Ryan, and for all of you out there, we appreciate your questions. Uh, Be safe out there, and uh, again, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Coach. Back in a minute, going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
Oh man, what's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to circlemarketing.com and see if they're right for you. Circlemarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. I want to talk about some off-season workouts. We want to talk about the NFL Combine that Dan and I were just talking off the air about a little bit. And Dan, we'll jump right in. Uh, Dennis from Lancaster wrote in. He's like, uh, my question is for Dan Weber, which USC player at the Combine has done the most to upgrade his stock in the NFL draft? Love the show and fight on. Well, uh, running his second straight 4.4440, I think Josh Shaw, I mean, he's already upgraded his stock, and we thought he'd do well in the bench press with 26, which was the best of anybody in the defensive backs. But then to run a 4 Four four, which uh, at 201 pounds uh, ties him for sixth among the defensive backs, and this is a guy who's a legitimate safety as well. Uh, I think Josh has, has done some real good. Not to say that Nelson running a four four didn't really help himself, uh, he, you know, especially with his dislocated finger. Uh, I think Randall did a pretty good job by uh, he, he he did 20. Uh, um, uh, bench presses, which is the only thing Randall was able to do besides uh, interview, but at tight end. But that that put him in the top five at, uh, at tight end. So uh, so I think, and then obviously Leonard. We were just just talking about Leonard as the only guy in in the combine history who was six foot five and three hundred pounds or more who ran under a under a five five flat forty. So um, a lot of things to feel good about. You know this uh, these USC guys at the combine uh, this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it a little bit before we get into the other questions and stuff. And uh, you know, Josh Shaw, I think it's important. He had a good you know showing in the East West Shrine game. He's over two hundred pounds, like you said. I think he had twenty six reps on the bench press. Um, we'll get the uh, while we're while this is being taped, we don't have his official time, but the two unofficial times. We're 4.44, which is, you know, like you said, it's certainly fast for, a, you know, it's fast for this group of DBs. It's, you know, in the top six. But, you know, as, as for a guy his size, it's probably the fastest of someone that is as big as him. So it seems like he's answering a lot of the maybe questions around him just because of the off-field stuff and he didn't get to play that much his senior year. Yeah, I think people want to like him and want to give him a chance. And once they talk to him, they think, you know, they want to say, gosh, I'm, you know, and have done that what a dumb thing but uh you know it's a one-time thing and I, I do think you know it's the kind of thing that uh i know the one nfl scout that they quoted on nfl.com said that he'd gone into you know great detail to check on on josh and that uh he'd given him an absolute you know good grade for character and uh i think you know they're going to do a lot of checking on josh and the more checking they do, probably the better the better for him. Because, uh, I mean, here's the, the kid that we were watching in the summer coming right from his uh, his internship, his job with his uh, tie and, you know, his, his, his work clothes on, and he'd go right and jump in and, and run the practice. And uh, so, you know, you think what happened was an aberration, and I think the NFL guys are going to say, yeah, this, this kid deserves a, a chance for everything else he did. Yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see where he you know, goes in the, in the draft. Uh, Jared Tavai I thought was an interesting guy. Hayes Pillard didn't run the fastest time. What do, what do you think about some of the lesser-known guys, that, you know, the, the non-Leonard Williams and Nelson Aguilar's from USC? You know, in reading the analysis that you're seeing on them, I think they're getting them right. I mean, they say Jr. tough kid, uh, makes the tough plays, which is what we saw him at USC, not especially gifted in terms of, you know, turning and running and being able to maybe cover the flat. Uh, 
against, you know, tight ends and running backs. And not that he, you know, that was something he did at USC much. Uh, you know, kind of a classic tweener at 249 pounds, uh, 4'9", Uh You'd like to see him probably play with his hand on the ground. Uh, but at 249, that's probably not big enough. So uh, it's gonna be, he is a tweener. I mean, there's not much more you can say. Uh, he's that uh, that classic tweener. Uh, I think Hayes is hurt in, in the analysis. I, mean, I hadn't realized this. Hayes hadn't gotten a sack in two years, and that fits in with your your study that you did uh, on the uh, lack of blitzing by USC. But but Hayes didn't get a sack in the last two years, and some of that I think is is as much scheme as it is you know athletic ability for these guys, and they tended to kind of keep the linebackers in place, and they're not the biggest guys, although Hayes, Hayes did uh, measure out at uh, 240, six foot, but 240. But um, I think uh, the scheme where they were trying to, you know, protect everybody, protect the depth on the defensive line, protect the young guys in the secondary, I think kind of hurt, hurt those guys a little bit uh, in terms of being able to see what kind of playmakers they could be. So, uh, uh, you know, I think when you do read what the NFL thinks of the USC kids, they, they pretty much get it right. Yeah. And they're going to get their chance. Uh, but, uh, but you do like the fact that they've all performed pretty well here. Nobody's, you know, showed up uh, out of shape or, you know, performs like significantly below below what you thought they would do. And they all, you know, I think they all come across as uh, as good kids, and uh, I think that's you know that's another thing. We've been lucky, you know. This team's had to go through a lot with the sanctions and all that, but uh, the kids have turned out to be really uh, you know standout kids. You think of Randall Kelfer, for example. I mean, all these they got a lot of kids that are going to do well in the interviews. Yeah, you know, Randall and, and Buck Allen too. Um, seemed I, I Randall didn't get to go through. Uh, the drills. I didn't know if there was an injury or something there. I didn't. I didn't really get to to see that. I guess but. he's going to run. I'm just assuming he's going to run in pro day. Yeah. Uh, just to you know give himself a little more time to. Uh, but obviously with the uh, you know doing well in the bench press, that's a good start. And he got all his interviews out of the way, so I think that's a good thing. And Buck comes in at 2:21, which I think was a little surprising to some of us. But he still ran a you know four five three. I guess it was uh, 40 which was, you know, like seventh or so on, among the running backs. So uh, uh, only did 11 bench presses, and I do think that's uh, – I think that shoulder has been bothering him all year. He would never admit it, never say, but, uh, but I do think there was uh, an issue there. He's probably not completely over yet. Uh, but, uh, but still, overall, I think a, a pretty, good, uh, pretty good combine for Buck. All right. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see seven – USC players in the combine, which is wrapping up, um, and we'll see what's going on there. So thanks for that. Let's see. Let's go. Uh, we'll go to Robert. He's a USC alumni from Honduras. He says, I listen to the podcast every week, um, except when they have uh, soul-crushing soul crushing losses like Boston College. Robert, you got to listen every week, even if it's a soul-crushing loss. Like We're going we're gonna to help you through it. So we're, it's kind of therapy. So his question, though, is before the new college football playoff, the formula to win a BCS national title was simple. You either had a dominant SEC defense like Alabama or LSU, or you had a transcendent once-in-a-decade Heisman winner like Tim Tebow, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, Vince Young, Cam Newton, or Jameis Winston. All of these were first-round NFL draftees, and only Tebow slipped out of the top 10. I don't think Cody Kessler is in that league. Uh, is it more likely for USC to assemble a dominant SEC type defense with the recent recruiting classes or for Max Brown or a Ronald Jones to lead USC to a title. Note that of the four playoff teams, two had Heisman winners. One is the favorite to win the Heisman next year, uh, Ezekiel Elliott and the Alabama defense. So it's been more of the same in this playoff era. I think you're, you may be projecting, uh, from the, the back end forward, uh, because basically, I go with the formula that Pete Carroll always believed was that, uh, and you got to say, they won three out of four, three Heismans in four years. And Pete's formula was the team will win you the Heisman. 
if, if, if the team produces, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, rather than, you know, taking the player and pushing through and saying, we're going to hang our hat on this player and get him through to the Heisman, I'm, I'm, I'm more like the model where uh, the team is going to perform so well that by the end of the year, the player who is, you know, the key player, and often that is the quarterback, key, key player on that team will be the one that gets the credit and gets, ends up getting the Heisman. So, you know, I don't think it's so much a, uh, a measure of Cody Kessler against, say, Carson Palmer's measurables, which were, you know, off the chart and still off the chart in terms of quarterbacks. I mean, he could maybe not quite run with Marcus Mariota, but when you put his arm and his size and everything else in the, uh, in the equation, you know, it's probably not, not fair to, to measure uh, Cody, say, against a uh, – you know, against the Carson Palmer, but uh, but a Tim Tebow, hey, that was a that was a result of a you know of a Florida team uh, in a lot of ways. They used him right, but uh, but I think you know I think USC is fine in terms of having a senior leader quarterback who can perform at a high level, if that's what it takes to win a, a national championship. I think they're I think they're okay there. Uh, whether it will be the defense that does it ultimately. They've got a lot of guys coming in that sure look like those kinds of players that you can put together that kind of defense. So, obviously, if you can do what Pete did in his early years, have that kind of a defense with a Heisman Trophy winner, then you really got yourself uh, in business. Yeah, the recruiting class looks great, so I think they have a shot. they got a lot of big, big, you know, long athletes now, so it should be interesting to see going forward. But, Robert, thanks for uh, writing us from – Honduras, and make sure you listen when when USC loses too. We'll try to help you through that. Uh, yeah, we need we need, we sometimes need somebody to talk to ourselves, Robert. So <laughs> we, we need to know you're out there. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay, Bill uh, had a question, or a, there's a couple of questions. I'll kind of read you the whole thing. Uh, he says, "I very much enjoy listening to yourself, Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, Gerard Martinez on recruiting, and all your other guests on the podcast." Uh, thanks very much, Bill. This past week. Uh, Coach Tarkanian, with Coach Tarkanian passing away, I thought about how the NCAA relentlessly pursued him. Like the song said, every step he took, they were watching him. He seems to be number one on their hit list. He did make comments in how the NCAA invested smaller schools, but stayed away from major programs. As much as I love John Wooden, the truth is, there was a lot of wrong going on in Westwood. And in the end, they got a quote-unquote slap on the wrist. Heaven forbid anyone criticized the NCAA. It's not a wonder Pete Carroll left this NCAA world of hypocrisy, uh, Bill. And he, he wanted to get an update on the McNair case and anything on that NCAA documentary that you were talking about before as well. So, uh, what we're, we're trying to decide what the best way to go with the documentary. Uh, one of the things we would like to do to carry it through is to, to find the right narrator and, uh, you know, especially somebody with, uh, with USC connections. So, and we're also trying to see if USC wants to be in any way, officially or unofficially kind of a part of it and just say, look, here's what happened. Here's, you know, here's what we did and here's what everybody else did and here's what happened to us and here's what happened to everybody else. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of one of those um, oh, uh, ESPN 30 for 30 kind of shows. And so we're still looking at it, what is the best way, the best place, the best uh, you know, avenue to kind of you know, make that happen. Uh, you know, we almost don't have to make the point anymore. I think three and a half years ago when we started, there were very few people who thought that the NCA was totally – you know, as corrupt uh, and, 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 you know, unfair in its enforcement processes. And then everything played out. After the USC case, all the other cases came, you know, spilling out, Auburn and Oklahoma, I mean, excuse me, Auburn and Oregon and Ohio State, and Miami, and one after another. And people realized, and, and the more information that came out on what happened to Todd McNair, all the mistakes the NCA made, or mistakes, I don't know if you call them mistakes, missteps we called them uh it became pretty obvious what happened 
And I don't think there's anybody in the country that defends the NCA now. I'm not sure, uh, you know, when was the last time, you know, three, four years ago, people were kind of defending the NCA's processes and, you know, they're doing the right thing. There's not a single person we can think of that says that now. So that tide has turned. What we'd like to see is that USC gets some measure of, as they did with Tarkanian. When they settled, when the NCAA was forced to settle, they lost the law, they basically lost the lawsuit. Two and a half million dollars, which is actually probably real money in those days. And they were also basically uh, forced to say, we're sorry, Jerry, uh, let's be friends and we won't do it again. And I think that's what you'd like to see them have to do with USC to basically be able to say, you know, what happened here shouldn't have happened and um, won't ever happen again, and we're sorry, and here are all the, you know, things you're going to get back. Like, you know, they can't give you the scholarships back yet now, but they can give you the wins, and they can give you the satisfaction that, uh, you know, you didn't, you know, this was not a major infractions case. This was not a a lack of institutional control, and uh, this was a hit job, and USC, I think, would be, you know, plenty pleased if the NCA would do that. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, <laughs> there's, we, it's funny, Dan. We talked to uh, the Trojan Club of San Diego, uh, you know, late last week, and a lot of questions kind of come up about the NCAA, and it just seems to, it just seems to never stop. But you're right. I mean, it's the the perception before. I think when USC was. Uh, you know, when the Chargers or whatever, when the, you know the the, the sanctions kind of came down, people weren't really. There, it was more about USC being corrupt, and now taking a step back, everyone seems to understand now. It's not. It's not like it was with Jerry Tarkanian that, that day. Everyone pretty much understands that the NCAA is a terrible organization. I don't, I don't know anyone that supports it as an organization. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a little over three and a half years ago. The NCAA did. Okay, it was three years ago, the NCAA did one of those uh, enforcement seminars where they brought in all the national college writers from around the country and took them through with Joanne Petuto leading the way and took them through a typical NCAA enforcement case. And by the time they got through it, there were people who were saying, they don't know if they got that right. And, and, and it was just a little thing. It was a hypothetical kind of made-up case. But I, I think it, and even then, people were saying, oh, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. I don't, know, I, I don't think, when was the last time you ever heard anybody say about the NCAA, they're trying to do the right thing? Yeah. I don't think, I, I mean, that's gone. So if anything happened that we can be proud of at uscfootball.com, uh, I think we were the first ones to, got, to start that bandwagon rolling. Yeah. That, uh, that geez, this is not right. These guys aren't right. They did a lot of bad things for bad reasons. And uh, hopefully pretty soon we're going to have all the proof we need uh, to show exactly uh, that that's the case. And it's obvious they're not very proud of what they did, the way uh, they uh, certainly don't want to let any of it to, any of it become public. Um, all right, Dad. Well, we have one last topic to discuss here on the podcast we know spring football is coming up we're going to do some preview and stuff next week before the uh you know before the practices and stuff start but it's having to do with our basketball team or the the basketball team here at usc here's uh, a question for you a voicemail question i'm going to play it right now this is richard the usc basketball fan well two more embarrassing losses 30 points to arizona Three players sent home, and Opie not knowing how to coach in the last four and a half minutes. My question for Dan is, when does the bleeding stop, and when do we send Opie packing and to get a new coach? It's unbelievable. The bleeding's got to stop sometime. I feel very, very sorry for the kids that are playing for Field because he's just overmatched in the Pac-12. But appreciate your comments. Enjoy the show very much. Fight on. Bye. Well, it, you know, it's you did feel awfully sorry for those kids yesterday. They, uh, they played, I mean, they played Arizona state certainly better than UCLA did. Um, certainly deserved to win that game despite having four guards, not there. Jordan McLaughlin out with an injury with that shoulder, the three others who were sent home, 
including their two leading. So, so they're without their two leading scores, and they still have a ten-point lead in the second half. And figure out how to not finish out and how to not play under pressure. And uh, you know, when they have to, you know, run their half-court offense, it's just awful. Or when they have to get a defensive stop, they just can't do it. And a lot of that. You know, I know people say, oh, they got tired or they got this or that. A lot of that is, it is coaching. And it does look like there's someone that's kind of overwhelmed on the sidelines and and where there's not a confidence. What you want to see in that part of of a game is a confidence level that, hey, you guys are playing great. You're 10 points up. You you know, this this is going great. And just that sense of we're going to do the right thing. We know what the right thing to do is. We've got this under control. And that's what coaching does. That's what good coaching does. And you don't see that. And, you know, it's I very much, you know, like Andy as a person and uh, and wanted, want to see him do well. I, I do think he gets another year next year. Uh, and it, you know it's hard to imagine. It's already essentially we're talking about year three of the Andy you know Enfield era. But uh, but the USC basketball program deserves better than it's getting. I mean the pro the, that was a great effort by those kids yesterday. That was a what should have been a winning effort, and uh, and it's just happened in you know five or six times this year. Come down to the you know the wire. And they don't make any of those any of the plays they need to make. I mean, not any of them. They don't even look like they have any idea what it is they're trying to do, and uh, and play with so little confidence. And uh, and that's what you want, you know, from a coach is uh, somebody to give you the confidence, the sense of we're going to do the right thing at the right time. I mean, that's what was the genius of Pete Carroll, is those players for those years almost unanimously. When crunch time happened, they felt like they were going to make the play. They 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 just were convinced it was not even a thought that they weren't going to make the play. And you, you look at the basketball team now and you think, does anybody on that team think they're going to make the play? I mean, you can't find a guy who looks like he believes we're going to do the right thing here. So, but I don't I don't think anything happens this year. Uh, I don't. It's an impossible box. I don't think you can start dismissing coaches after two years. I just—that's almost as bad a solution as you know as going ahead the way they're going now. I mean, I just—I don't think you can do it. But it's got to change. What, what's happening now has to change. It just can't can't keep going on the way it is. It's just really not fair to the players. If people don't know. It- uh, USC had an Arizona road trip, uh, got a blowout loss to Arizona, blew a lead, a late lead against Arizona State. And I don't maybe you want to explain players that were sent home, Dan, what was going on there? We don't know. Uh, just uh, violation of team rules. Uh, Kate and Reinhardt, uh, Chaz Bryan, and uh, uh, the Fluger kid. Uh, uh, two walk-ons, although Chaz is more kind of a you know an academic uh, kid who's played a lot at, at point guard. So with McLaughlin gone, you, you're basically playing without four guards. And I uh, thought they, again, they played more of an open court game. Uh, I think they, they tried to play, against Arizona, they tried to play half court and tried to beat Arizona at Arizona's game on Arizona's floor. Probably not a good idea. Uh, and, they, you know, basically were never – never in that game. And then they come out and they're forced to scramble a little bit more and uh, played a little more aggressive. Uh, uh, you saw a lot more interior passing in, in the lane and, and, and attacking the glass. And uh, they, they do better when they, when they do that. And yet once you know, they got to that point where, you know, toward the end of the game, they have five or six minutes, and now it's crunch time. You've got a lead. You've got the ball. What are you going to do? And they didn't seem to know what to do, how to finish it out. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's a shame. They deserved, they deserved better to come out of yesterday with a win because they played hard. They aren't giving up. I mean, you got to give them that. And then that goes to the coaching too. They're not giving up. But then they just seem completely befuddled 
toward the end of those games, how do we win games? How do we make plays? How, you know, how do we do this? And, uh, again, to me, that, that does point to the coach. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We appreciate it. I'm going to look forward to next week when, uh, get talking more about spring football. Um, you know, some of the off season workouts leading up to spring football and all that kind of fun stuff. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, it's spring football starting earlier this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are too, Dan. Yeah. I, I it seems like everywhere you look spring football starting earlier. I, I read a, a tweet yesterday from a guy who was at Syracuse's first spring football practice. Syracuse. Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are they practicing? Mean, hopefully they're practicing indoors somewhere. They have to be, But yeah. uh, the teams are practicing uh, uh, around the country. When you look, uh, look at it, uh, teams are going early. And, uh, I mean, we, you know, you can do it out here. Heck, you can't even do it. I just saw they were doing a weather report from Dallas. And, you know, it's 26 and snow on the ground and people can't drive. And, uh, and I'm thinking, wow, it's uh, USC it does have the best of all worlds when it comes to you can pretty much decide when you want spring ball to be. But, uh, yeah, it's earlier, and it seems earlier everywhere. All right. Well, Dan, again, thank you so much. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. We will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 